welcome back to CCL's podcast, Lead With That, where we talk current events in pop culture to look at where leadership is happening and what's happening with leadership. Earth is now our only stakeholder. That was written by Yvonne Schwinnard on September 14th, as Patagonia's billionaire founder gave away his company to Mother Earth. It's actually a pretty cool video on Instagram if you haven't seen it. Instead of selling Patagonia and taking the company public, Schwinnard has given the $3 billion outdoor brand to a family trust and a not-for-profit called the Hold Fast Collective. The goal with the creation of these entities is to put any profit not reinvested back into Patagonia towards fighting climate change. And, at its best, it'll look like something like $100 million a year donated directly to saving our planet. Now, at a time when more and more billionaires are getting on board with quote-unquote doing the right thing, at first glance, this action might not seem extraordinary. But after digging in and investigating the differences between the sale of Patagonia in this instance and the sale of so many other organizations, we see a difference here. Maybe this dirtbag capitalist has been walking the talk for decades, and this is just his magnum opus. Either way, when the founder in the face of a $3 billion organization does something this drastic, you know we have to talk about it. And while Yvonne Schwinnard is an amazing character and will likely get his own episode one day, we'll use his actions and some of his ethos as a lens to explore some bigger topics. Today we'll talk about an organization's role in doing the right thing, talk about the kind of leaders that it takes to do the right thing, and some of the spaces in between. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Ren Washington, and as usual, I'm joined with Allison Barr. Allison, does a leader have an inherent responsibility to society? So, Ren, we we start our podcast in the same way, right? You intro and you ask me a question. Yeah. What do you say? It's fall. What do we say? We shake it up a bit, and you can answer your own question first. I, I have to go first. Yeah. Is that just an autumn thing? It's a, you know, we're living in some strange times right now. So I'm just, I'm honoring the uh, uncertainty that we're living in. Does a leader have an inherent responsibility to society? I don't know if there's inherent responsibility to society at large in leadership. So no. Okay. I want to read something to you that might be familiar. All right. So humor me here. So our mission is to advance the understanding, practice, and development of leadership for the benefit of society worldwide. Simply put, we strive to make the world a better place through more effective leadership. What do you think about that? I think an organization like that probably has some very stellar podcast hosts that work for them. (laughs) Um, But that sounds interesting. Now, I don't know if I hear inherent responsibility in there, but... I imagine benefit of society, uh-huh, the benefit of society. Mm-hmm. I agree that leadership might benefit society, but is there an inherent responsibility in leadership to benefit society? I question mark. I'm not sure. Just so we're clear. What was that you read? That would be the one and only mission <laughs> statement from the Center for Creative Leadership. Okay, just where we work. <laughs> and I bring that up in jest, right? Sure. Because you're right. There's some maybe some gray in there. What does benefit mean, right? We could get really granular. And when you and I were talking last week about this specific podcast, I immediately thought, well, yeah, yes, of course they do. And my thoughts are that a company, an organization is an entity that exists within society. And so an organization is not its own sovereign nation, right? So it exists within the society that you and I live and the rest of human beings live. 
So there's an impact to an organization existing in society just as much as there is an impact as the stream in my backyard has an impact, different impact, right? But the same people that you work with also exist in the society in which you live. And so most organizations do have an impact on society. You mentioned this in the intro a little bit. They have an impact on the society. They have an impact on the environment, standards of living, and so on and so forth. So it would be a yes for me, an implied yes. And I think, um, well, curious what your response is. Yeah, and and I know eventually we'll maybe get back to Yvonne and what he did with Patagonia, but I don't know if there's an implied responsibility. You know, you, you think there's some interesting frames there when we think about leadership and the role of an individual that participates in a society. I think that's a really interesting idea. You, I, people in our organization, they engage in society. They have to follow the rules, sure, of like the culture they inhabit. But when I look at organizations, some of them, I don't know if they operate in society. Sometimes I think they operate parallel to it or even outside of it. I mean, why is this such a marvel? Companies don't often say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm here to help the society in which I operate. Leaders don't often say that so much so that when this guy does something like this, people are like, no possible way. Why would he do that? That doesn't make any sense. So the inherent responsibility is probably what I'm poking at. That And maybe to the means of, if we think it's inherent, then we might just wait for leaders to, air quoting our favorite thing here, do the right thing. But maybe people are looking around kind of like, I don't know, is my responsibility to society or is my responsibility to the people who sign my check? So the thing with talking about organizations is that an entity is a piece of paper. An organization is run by human beings, period. And so if you go into the four walls of an organization, while some of us are not even going into the four walls of an organization anymore, but if we're operating for an organization then why would a company have a mission statement that oftentimes, more oftentimes than not, the mission statement and the values are directed towards society at large? And so I think what Patagonia has always done well is that they're cha- they challenge the assumptions that most people have about the workplace. And so we could get into the nuances of being in a capitalist environment, right? Because that's a fact where we're in a capitalist environment. Capitalism inherently thrives with competition, accumulation of capital, signing checks, if you will, profit. However, Patagonia, since conception, has always aimed to be a sustainable organization and is a really great example of what it means to operate with the company values as a priority versus operating with a priority to profit. And you highlighted in the intro that they are a profitable company. So it's a win-win. So why would you not? And they're maybe the one of the few examples who have been as steadily committed to returning back to the world in which they live. I think you point to organizations' mission statements, and I point to them, and I think about the people that I've worked with and the people that I've come across in my life, and I don't know how many of them could read to me right now their mission statement by heart. I think about some organizations that have a really, really fantastic performative mission statement, Mm. but functionally operate in the globe that enables them to operate as the globe does. And so, again, maybe we'll start to expand on this more. Like, I don't know if there's... Sometimes I, I don't know if I can depend on 
people to do things other than what they're motivated or rewarded to do. You know, I was listening or not listening, just reading this article and uh, this gentleman named Ted Clark, executive director of the Northeastern University Center for Family Businesses. And, and he was reflecting on this situation saying, you know, what makes capitalism so successful is that there's motivation to succeed. And he was saying this in reflection to part of the family trust in this holdfast collective is that Schwinnard and people like him are stepping away from making the business profitable to keep the business alive. And in Clark's suggestion is that he continues to say, if you take all the financial incentives away, the family will have essentially no more interest in it except the longing for the good old days. Now, I think, Ted, what he's saying is people are not interested in the well-being of others mm. unless it benefits themselves. And I think I'm inclined to agree with him. Again, Schwinnard is an example of this. I don't know if we remember the space race between the billionaires earlier this summer, but they could have fed countless people. Instead, they were like, you know what? I'm going to see the curvature of the earth, baby. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I, what's interesting is you're getting me to think about how company culture is developed. And you talked about that mm. a little bit too. And when we talk about culture, which we often do at CCL, one thing I think that people neglect to consider is that the external culture of the organization will inform the organization's culture. So the United States, for example, if we're just talking about the U.S. right now, the U.S. is an individualist culture. That's not right, wrong, or bad, right? But it it's one of the most individualist cultures in the world. So this means that the majority of human beings in the United States focus on I versus we, and they focus on the needs of themselves versus the needs of the we, the community, the society, et cetera. And there are, of course, benefits and opportunities to this type of culture. But I think what we're seeing is perhaps uh, this going to the extreme, right? So some of the benefits of being individualists are innovation, achievement, which you've mentioned, and growth, which again is what companies often want. However, some of the downfalls are pretty dramatic, right? Downfalls of an individualist culture are lower emotional intelligence, lack of empathy for others, which impacts mental health. So poor mental health as a community or a nation and a general lack of support between people. And so I think what Patagonia has done well is challenge the culture, challenge the external culture, if you will. And their, I mean, their company culture has always been somewhat of a, a golden nugget that marketing classes and, you know, Forbes and probably a lot of other podcasters like to talk about because it does challenge those systems. And so given the state of some of the things that have happened in our world recently, I think it's no surprise that empathy and emotional intelligence and having perspective is one of the most sought after leadership skills right now. So do you think Patagonia could be a model of uh, shifting perspectives? Patagonia did not do this out of its own volition. This move did not come out of a stakeholder meeting. This move came directly from the founder who told the executives, I'm going to start cold calling people to sell this business mm -hmm. if you all don't find a way for me to put the money we're making back into the earth. And so I guess what I'm coming to, and I, I'm vibing with what you're saying. And I, for me, it's just like, I don't know if I can round it up to the organization, which in reality, a publicly traded organization, also something that might make this unique. Patagonia is not or was never publicly mm -hmm. traded. Yep. 
So they only had themselves as their stakeholders. So once you start getting the publicly traded, and even Srinard himself said, he said, I don't respect the stock market at all. He said, once you're public, you've lost control over the company. You have to maximize profits for the shareholder. Then you become one of those irresponsible companies. And I think that's kind of the business model that we see where a lot of companies, because of their imperative, what they're tasked to do. I'm not here to demonize a company making money because it's organized to support its shareholders. But to your question, can Patty own a model? I think Yvonne Schwinnard might have to be the model of a leader who is willing to do that. But he, you know, you said Patagonia is a golden nugget. It's kind of like he is this weird unicorn. Mm -hmm. You know, I said dirtbag capitalist earlier, and that's a friendly moniker that the people who know this billionaire capitalist, because he he doesn't even have a computer or a cell phone. Mm -hmm. He drives this old Subaru. You know, he is this rock climber who sleeps on New York's Times writer's couches when he's in New York. And so, I mean, he said, I never, I didn't know what to do with the company because I didn't ever want a company. And so I don't know if Patagonia is a model. It, it stands, it remains to be seen. I think he might be a model for what you could do. The company now is going to be put into an interesting position as the holdfast, or rather as the family trust, the Patagonia Purpose Trust, Twinard and the family members, they're going to organize the business still. We'll see if it continues to make money at a level that they hope to donate. Right. So I don't know if I answered your question. Yes, maybe. Yes, maybe Patagonia can model if they, but we have to watch. Like it remains to be seen. What's interesting too, is that in order for them to achieve that goal of giving back to the environment, to your point, they have to make a profit. So it's it's interesting. It's really interesting. And in order to make a profit, what 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 are they doing to make a profit, right? And so I I did some reading, as I'm sure you did as well. And it is like, can you be a sustainable company that is ethical within a capitalist environment? I don't know the answer to that, but it's worth considering. Mm. We probably won't answer that today, and that's all right. But <laughs> he makes strides, right? So can you exist in this system that having a goal of being ethical and sustainable might be counterintuitive to the system? And some of the things that Patagonia has done that's really interesting to me is that they had in the past tremendous opportunity to co-brand um, and really accelerate their profits, however, refuse to co-brand with companies that are actively doing harm or, or not actively seeking to support the environment. And that's mm-hmm. a, that is a privilege to be able to say no to that, right? But they also started the Fair Labor Association in partnership with a few other retailers like Nike. Um, That was a long time ago, but they had gotten called out for unfair labor practices. And so he said, you know what? I don't actually don't want to behave this way. Let's turn this around. Right. And they were also accused of animal cruelty. That was a very long time ago in Europe. And they took ownership and changed the way that they sourced down. They asked they do still ask consumers to think twice before purchasing. Do you really need that or do you just want it? Which I think is interesting. Could it be performative? Maybe. I don't know. But they also provide videos for consumers showing customers how to fix their product so they don't have to overconsume. So it's it's interesting, right? So if the product gets worn out, by the way, too, you can also send it back and they'll use it to make something else or they'll recycle it. So they also consider where they're sourcing materials. 
Uh, they don't source from lands that will inevitably put people on on that land at risk of losing their own resources. So I think they're actively, it's just an interesting dichotomy, I suppose, like a billionaire who's actively trying <laughs> to create a sustainable environment when perhaps what got him to billionaire status maybe was being or acting in ways that are unsustainable. Mm. I don't know. I don't know, right? But you would think that amount of consumption to get to billionaire status, you would think there had to be a tremendous amount of using resources. Yeah. Three things that makes me think of, and I'm going to say them out loud so you can help me remember. Uh, one of them has to do with that last thing, like, what? how did we get here and what did I do to get here? Uh, the other one is this balance between maybe this idea of performance and service. And then there was another one that had to do with something you said earlier. Oh, to can a company or operate ethically in our environment. And so to the last thing that you said, it's a personal pet peeve of mine about any leader that says, hey, I've made it to the mountain. You all have heard this before and I'm going to keep saying it. It's like I'm on the tippy top of the mountain now that I'm here. Don't come up here. You shouldn't come up here. Uh, it was it wasn't worth it. You know, and, I, and so I don't know necessarily if Patagonia has been that way. I think some of the practices you've highlighted is they've had a, a kind of a lifelong footprint of maybe better business practices. Again, I kind of boils down to the founder, I think, mm -hmm. back to Yvonne. So that could be a different podcast for us around people kind of saying, well, now that I'm here, don't do it that way. Like anyone who looks at China for pollution, since they're making the world's goods, but we're like, you guys should chill out on the coal usage. Well, maybe we should stop buying things. The, those plants that cause coal. Also, different podcast. Can an organization operate ethically in this? I think the other question is, are they incentivized to? And typically I would say no, but it looks like maybe you've got a response to that. Well, why do you think people need to be incentivized to be ethical? I don't think they need to be. I, it's more of like I'm a realist about it. If I'm not incentivized to be ethical, but I might be <laughs> greatly incentivized to be more like ambiguously ethical. I, I look around the world, Allison, and I go, there seems like a lot of people indexing on the moral ambiguity at best for business purposes and not like super ethical. I just kind of the world I see around me. Yeah. So to clarify, I don't mean you as an ethical person. I mean, like, why do you think that is for, why do you think that is a thing for society Exactly what you just said, where there's maybe uh, less interest in behaving ethically and more interest in, in behaving profitably. Well, I think one meta psychological reason, which I might get to, which was my third point that I did not forget. I'm high fiving myself over here. But the other one might very well be that it takes longer to be ethical. Yep. And the risk of it taking longer is what? Which I guess brings me to my second paradigm here and the last point that I'm, I start to think about here. And even you and I were talking about it's this tension between service and performance. And Rich Bean, shout out one of our colleagues at CCL, Rich Bean. He's awesome. If you ever have a chance to work with him, if you ever see him on one of your programs, just fly to San Diego to go work with him because it's worth it. So this is his golden nugget. I'm going to give him credit a few times and then I'm stealing it. Rich sucks for you. Uh, but he said service versus performance when we were doing some work together. And this idea that service is a we first paradigm, performance is a me first paradigm. And so when I think about this idea of ethical action and 
in this thing. I think people don't want to take time to be ethical because it impacts potentially performance. Like we always say at the center, slow down to speed up. And people look at us like, we don't have time to slow down. I've got this job to do. And so they've got this performance drive, this me first kind of drive. And I think that mitigates ethical behavior. But also we've been rewarded most of our lives for performing. Mm -hmm. Allison, you get a job, do this. Oh, congratulations, you met your goal. Now do more. And that's like been our lives. And I think shifting to a we first mentality is that service orientation where I start to look at the others and what can I do for them? You know, maybe Patagonia and Yvonne Schoenard are an example of saying, what can I do for my customer? Like you said, all those examples of, you know, like they have the ads, don't buy this coat, or let me teach you how to fix this coat. You know, what can I do for you? And it's funny when Yvonne posted that thing on Instagram about we just, like Mother Earth is our, or Earth is our only stakeholder now. Patagonia had one of its most profitable days it's ever had mm -hmm. in recent history and ever in the business. And so it's almost this counterintuitive posture of if I do service first, which is a we first, all of a sudden it boosts my performance. But really, I think so many people are benefited from just the performance mindset that they're further, again, not incentivized to not only not be ethical, because why? Uh, it slows me down and I look around and I go... It seems to be working. Yeah. So I have two things and one is very important, but however, I'm going to take a left turn here. This is very important. Did you just admit to being on Instagram? And this whole time you say in our podcast, you'll never find me on social media. Are you on Instagram? Well, A, I'm not going to answer that question. And uh, <laughs> B, next question. I think we have our answer, friends. Ren is on Instagram. No, I'm really, you. no, I could, if you see Instagram, you can watch Instagram things on the internet. Uh -huh, so uh -huh. if you think you can find me, I assure you, you'll never find me. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm just, just saying, just saying, it's going to be my own yeah. personal mission to find you on uh, social media. Okay. The second thing is I want to make sure I'm understanding, <laughs> understanding you correctly. Yes. Rich Bean is amazing. So I want yeah. to uh, underline that as well. Service versus performance. So can it be service, service and performance? I think that's what you're saying, right? Like Patagonia has highlighted that having a service first attitude has increased their overall performance as a company, whether or not they intended that to happen or not. Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm saying, yes, there can be such a thing as service and performance. But in this instance, in Patagonia's act of service, they had some of their best performance. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't even like, let's do both. It was actually, let's just do the service thing. And then they opened up the doors for service and then boom, they had massive performance. Now, I think in the reality of the, the space of gray, like me personally, I think service and performance is probably a, a better way to look at it, more realistic. But in this particular instance, I was more highlighting that their act of service alone with seemingly no other reasoning, bread led to massive performance. So maybe that small tweak. I don't know if that's relevant. Yeah. So if you think about, let's stay on that for a second. So if you, if I am a, a leader at an organization and we just met, right? How can I better be in service? What does that look like to be in service? If I'm not the CEO and I'm not a billionaire, what does that look like? Or what can it look like? Uh, we, I think it's a we first question and it's a recognition of the narrative and narrator that's spinning up in your head. I, 
another thing that Rich was saying in that same context, and we were all discussing this in the room as we were starting to explore this thing around God, what's the what's the talk track? And you know, if you if you're condemning or belittling or or talking about your own lack of performance, then that's that's a me first kind of thing. And so maybe a service for us as a manager or leader or someone who's not a billionaire CEO is is starting to ask, what do people need from me? Not what do I think my good performance looks like, but what do people need from me to amplify their performance? That might be something that someone could tactically think about. What if you don't know the answer to that? I'm ge- and I'm genuinely, I'm not trying to like put you on the spot. I'm genuinely curious. What if you don't know the answer? The answer to... What do people need from me? I, I find out. And I involve them directly in why I'm asking the question. And that's one of my big take, these big things these days too is, if you do all this development and then people are like, sweet, I'm going to change. And then they go back to work and they change. And then people call us and like, what the hell did you do to so-and-so? <laughs> like, why are they acting all weird? And it's because people go back and they are acting weird. Yeah. Because they're doing a whole bunch of stuff without inviting anyone in. Like, hey, by the way, I went to this thing. They said, try this thing. So I'm trying this thing. And so sometimes I'd seek to say, you know, I'm getting a vibe right now that I really want to interject here, but I don't think that's adding value. And in fact, this is sort of what I'm thinking you all need or you need from me. Does that make sense? And you validate, you vet the ask. And then what do you need, you know? And I don't know if that's the answer all of the time, but when we look at Schwinard and Patagonia, it seems like whatever their personal ethos or the organizational ethos was, that's what service meant. So maybe that's another thing as I wind my way through your question is, if not, it's only asking, but then maybe qualifying for me, like what does service look like so I can embody it? Service for Patagonia, unsurprisingly, with a a mountain climber founder who sleeps on couches and is a billionaire, you know, he wants to give back to the world that's given him everything. And that's what service looked like. So all of those things, you know. Yeah, all of those things. So if we come back to the beginning of the podcast where we talked about does a leader at the workplace clarifying, right? Does the leader have a res- ethical responsibility? Is that what you asked? An ethical responsibility to society. An inherent responsibility. And inherent. Does a leader have an inherent responsibility? Is responsibility to society part of leadership? And is your answer still no to that? My answer is still no to that. Okay. I, I won't make us reconvene and do another 30 minutes of me interrogating you about that. Huh, but what I will ask is, are you the same Ren? Are you the same human being when you shut your laptop for the day? Mostly. How, how mostly? Uh, because I have to talk for a living, I talk less when I cut, shut my laptop. Is that the only difference? Ah, likely not. Maybe I should ask you, what's the root of your question? What are you trying to get at? Oh, I'm not going to tell you that. We'll get there. No. We'll get there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it could probably be a cavalcade of things. Again, I, I think if someone chooses to benefit society, God bless them. Do I think that's an inherent responsibility on everybody's shoulder? I, whether or not I believe it is doesn't mean that it has to be. So clarifying further, you believe you do not have a responsibility. You are a leader at CCL. Uh, you are. So do you not, you don't have a responsibility to others because society means others in this context. If you were to press me and you were to point at my job description, I would ask you to say, okay, where does it say, okay, if I'm a people manager, sure, I've got a responsibility. No, no, I'm asking you as Ren, as a human, just Ren, just you. Me personally. You personally. Do I feel like I have an inherent responsibility to others? 
Get rid of the word inherit. Yeah. It's tripping you up. Do you have a responsibility? No, it's not. Yes, it is. You're, Do you're I have a responsibility? <laughs> do you have a responsibility to others? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Okay. So why does that why does that change when we're not talking specifically about leadership? Uh, because I've known plenty of people, and I guess I could be in a position where I tell you, no, I don't have a responsibility to others outside of what I'm asked to do. Yeah, but we're talking about you. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, and maybe that's my point, and maybe that's the whole point with Patagonia and, and Schwinnard and why we can't rely on leadership alone to help society when we need to coax and cultivate it. You know, I think I have a responsibility to others and therefore a responsibility to society, me personally, because it is in my, it is a value to me. It is part of my ethos. Now, I don't know if that has to be a mandate for someone in a leadership position. Interesting. And can you define leadership for me? My personal example, I think you can find on that similar cited website that it's a social process where people work collectively towards accomplishing a task and a goal. Uh, I, I would say that someone who is looked to to accomplish a task or help people accomplish a task is leader in leadership. And would you agree that organizations exist within society? Uh, sometimes. How do they not exist within society? Where, where, uh, are you tell, you, where are they? You tell me how many billionaire billionaires and companies exist that you've never heard of that had their money in some offshore untaxable accounts that where they actually don't they stand above or outside of society is what I might say. But that's a different okay, that's a different podcast. Sure, sure. Maybe we're defining society <laughs> differently. But what I'm getting yeah, at here, by the way, if I could go back and do school all over again, I would be a lawyer. If you're wondering why I like to interrogate you, that would that would be one of the I, reasons. So thank you for humoring me. Thank you. That's uh, no problem. If I could be uh, go back in time, I would be a wealthy defense client. <laughs> is, no, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But I think what we're getting at is exactly to what you talked about earlier, which is service versus performance. And maybe that's a maybe that's a better question. Um, is does a leader at the workplace have a have a responsibility to be in service to others, and does it benefit them? And it sounds like from what you are saying that yes, it does benefit both you and the organization to be in service to others. I think it does. And I think when people do it, when they lean into that counterintuitive space, they might be shocked with the results where instead of removing me and my performance from the apex of the thing I'm trying to accomplish and then putting we in that spot, I think people are like, well, what happens to me then? Don't I naturally drop off? And I think, no, when you put we first, you actually start to look around and everything starts to do better. You start performing better, the people around you start performing better, the organization performs better than it ever has. And so, yeah, I think it's fair to say that, you know, despite my uh, evasiveness to your question, I promise I'm not as callous and cold as I look, <laughs> I do see the value of a we first mentality and the, and the advantages of maybe having a responsibility to society. Yeah. And I think what you're highlighting for me is is around something you said earlier, how many people can recite their their mission statement or even their one of their values, how many people can. For real. And I think that is something that we can, as organizations, learn from Patagonia, especially if you are hmm. a senior leader or higher. It is having a clear purpose and clear values. And purpose impacts the values and the beliefs of your brand. So it also impacts and informs the behaviors of those who will work for and with the brand. 
And so I think that's something that CCL does really well also is have a clear understanding of what we mean by leadership and what we are trying to do and collectively doing that together. Do we have our moments? Of course we do. However, uh, I do think that a good idea for leaders is to vet every single strategy to ensure that it does align with that purpose and value statement first, because what Patagonia has highlighted is that that works, right? They're their initiative is to support the environment monetarily and them living and aligning every strategy with their purpose and values first has shown to be uh, quite, quite successful. Yeah. And I would encourage then anyone who's in that space where you don't have the luxury of a private owner who's not at the sway of stakeholders is to manage that tension between um, really highlighting those places where mission is part of the results you're getting. And I think it's going to be easily overlooked or surpassed or we go for the easy win. And so in the true spirit of the service versus performance, I think as I'm rounding into my takeaways, I love yours and and that would just echo the idea that maybe that that momentary pause or lapse and push of effort actually will benefit you where you'll get people on board, even if you're trying to hit the bottom line and you're, and that's the only imperative you have, then someone a little bit more mission focused around it um, might amplify your results. Yeah, that's great. So it's, it's interesting to see that stuff at work out there. Power in the pause. There's power in the pause is what you're saying. Yes. (laughs) yes. And I think the one takeaway I'll, I'll leave with is something that you said that sticking with me is to, if you are a leader at the workplace, regardless of your leader level, is to ask yourself, what do others need from me? And start there. Love it. Well, Ren, thanks for the conversation. And thank you for um, suggesting that we can find you on Instagram. And thank you for letting me <laughs> interrogate you a little bit. And uh, It's never going to happen. It's my pleasure. <laughs> to our listeners, you can find all of our podcasts and show notes on ccl.org. You can find us on LinkedIn. Let us know what you want us to talk about. Let us know what you think as well. What do you think about ethical leadership? Uh, Do you think that leaders have a responsibility to society? Uh, Let us know what you think, and we'll look forward to uh, tuning in next time. Thanks, folks. Thanks a bunch. Find Allison on TikTok. She's so humble. See you next time. (laughs) Bye.